0: What is Off the Groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far, or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack.
1: Off the The Groove Groove with Scotty Dubler.
2: November 29th, 2019, episode 107.
0: Man, we're getting up there.
2: (laughs) You got to think of something else to say after I say the episode number.
0: What am I supposed to say? Hmm. That's a lot of numbers. Yeah.
2: Is, did anybody ever? Mm, did, did,
0: I can't any, believe it's Friday. Did, mm.
2: did anybody ever rock a 107 on their number that plate? That I'm aware of. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I'm sure they have. See, so the triple digits just started the last couple of years, but way back in the day, they had novice numbers and there were so many of them that there were three digit numbers. So I'm sure somebody's ran the 107, but I just can't think of anybody off the top of my head.
2: All right, maybe we should stop doing that then. I, I'm I'm good with that. All right, well
0: just I, I like two two-digit numbers, so.
2: Lot to talk through before we get to this week's episode, which I'm geeking out about. Have been geeking out about it for weeks. I
0: know you're you over there shaking and you're excited. You can't even hold your coffee. And <laughs> man, I I don't know I don't even know who we got on the episode, but well you'll anyways,
2: under, you'll of- understand once we once I explain uh so are we right we're, we're gonna do a little uh we're gonna do a little same day air we're gonna record this today and we'll publish it today or, or post what, it today that,
0: that's what american flat track's gonna do a couple <laughs> we'll, times we'll get, in 2020
2: we'll get to that in a bit uh but first i want to talk about last saturday let's we, we gotta we gotta talk about
0: that so mr carter came to oklahoma again for the yeah. second time in 2019 yeah i picked you up at the airport we went and had some big truck taco. Which oh was boy! Amazing, amazing I tacos.
2: Want, amazing. I didn't want you
0: to forget about that. You yeah. Know? No. So, I might have to go get one of those now because I'm getting hungry. So we did that. Hung out. Went to the Indian Motorcycle shop of Oklahoma City, who sponsors the Oklahoma City Mile, which yeah. was cool. Got some got some cool stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. That start off the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And it just got better from there.
2: Unreal. Yeah. We we actually. Sp- Drove up to Kansas, uh, Wichita, Kansas on Saturday for the U.S. premiere of Fast and Left. Hung out with Evan, uh, Jeffrey Carver was there. And uh, we went up there with uh, your girlfriend and Stoney, who people probably don't know who Stoney is. So give him a little background on who Stoney is.
0: Tony's a, a, an old flat tracker he raced a lot of vintage stuff on a 750 triumph and he's been a good friend of mine for probably about 28 29 years something like that and he actually used to sponsor me when I raced we would travel together we ran a lot of the races where he could run the vintage class and I'd run the pro class and and he would sponsor me him and his wife Bonnie would sponsor me a lot and uh You know what he's he's probably my best friend in the whole wide world i mean he's one of the nicest guys i've ever met so anyways uh i invited him to go my girlfriend uh shelly she decided she wanted to go so uh shelly sat in the front and you and stoney sat in the (laughs) back and we cruised on up to wichita it's only about i said it's two and a half hours but it was only about two hours a little over two hours and and we went and saw jeeps motorcycle club too which something that i didn't think that we'd even get a chance to do but we got there right before dark and me and you hopped the fence and went and checked it out. That's pretty cool. What'd you think of that? We did
2: jump the fence and I don't want to get in trouble, but, uh, we had to go. I mean, we, it was just before sunset. We, we said, why not go see where, you know, where the track is. You had raced several times before. Um, and I'd never seen it. So we drove out there for me. It was cool watching you walk up to it, looking at the track. Uh, cause I knew that you just were thinking of all the stories there. Like you had a pretty bad wreck there. Um, and, and hearing you talk about that and kind of just seeing you take it all in it was pretty cool for me. And just to see kind of what we were walking into for the premiere. Like a lot of this movie was shot at that local track. So I wanted to go see it in person. And it was it was amazing.
0: And that's the first flat track racetrack that Evan Sand went to. So I, that's another reason I wanted to take you there. And of course, there's people, there's a motocross track and there there's people riding over there. So it wasn't just closed down for everybody, but the gate was closed. So we went kind of around the gate. But anyway, just for you to see... You know the place that evan got hooked on flat track was pretty cool I wish there would have been some flat trackers going on the track looked good But they were setting up for a cross country, which was the next day, but uh, we went to eat and then we went to the premiere and I didn't know what to expect I don't think you knew what to expect, but we walked in and there was people everywhere and we were there You know two hours before the premiere started. There was uh, flat track bikes on display if you if you watched our Facebook live We kind of did like a, a pit walk but we did it through the crowd, and that was you know an hour and a half before the movie even started.
2: It was unreal. I, I think that uh, the Evan and Tay uh, did an, an amazing job setting up that venue. It was a perfect venue for what it was, uh, and the house was packed. People were in there, uh, you know, shoulder to shoulder. And you're right, I didn't know what to expect walking into it. I, I knew that I was going to to see a flat track movie that somebody who was very passionate about the sport had fallen in love recently with the sport. Had made, I didn't even know how long the movie was uh, until we got there. Um, but walking around, just the vibe in that in that venue, everybody was talking and talking about Flat Track, uh, you know, past, present, and future of Flat Track. It was really cool. You could walk up to anybody and just be like, "Who are you?" And like they'd go on for about ten to fifteen minutes about who they were or what the, why they're there. And I think that Evan said it best on that live video. It's it's like a race without the motorcycle race like everybody the environment there was was uh just like it was when you go to the track um you're you're hanging around flat track family uh the, and just talking motorcycles it was super cool so um thanks to evan and taylor for for letting us come there uh you actually uh hosted the the q a afterwards which was pretty cool the movie <laughs> i i don't even want to try to put it into words um don't
0: hey don't start crying again
2: dude I telling you I got choked up it's it, what I've tried to do is give people an understanding of why this is awesome and he did it he did it in a in a movie that he didn't even like he, he didn't say the words or anything you just feel it, it and, and it was it was amazing if you haven't seen it make sure you go to fast and left uh, on Instagram on Facebook there's links uh, there DVDs available now uh, that you guys can get see this movie not only see this movie but when if and when there's a premiere of it in your city go to that premiere because it's not just the movie it's it's the whole vibe at that venue before the premiere during the premiere it's it's the experience if you love flat track that y- you just need to experience this it was awesome
0: and he had merchandise for sale i yep. think I, I picked up uh some more stickers uh got a dvd for graham i sent it out to her already um and that's all to help cover the cost of what it took to make the movie he's not he's not out here trying to get rich off of this movie no. he's doing it just for the love of the sport and I think that's what it's all about I mean that's that's you know that's pretty much why we do it
2: yeah support people that support you and uh this movie I mean it's for me it's a it means a ton to to see somebody just because I, I feel like it's a lot in line with how I fell in love with the sport right like and I just jumped in head first it's he didn't know anything about flat track until he went to the race and now he made this movie and he want, he's, you know, talking to him, he could spend the rest of his life telling flat track stories. So I can definitely relate to that. And, uh, just an awesome dude. And his wife, Taylor is awesome as well. So it's good to see good people doing great things. And, uh, I'll stop now, just go support this if you can, because it's amazing. Uh,
0: Absolutely.
2: Well, let's talk about the week week in Flat Track, because there's been a decent amount of news dropped since we uh, did our last episode last week.
0: So something that came out since we put out our last podcast was Harley-Davidson stepping in big time. I mean, they've always been in Flat Track, but they're offering some great big contingencies uh, in, in Flat Track again, which is awesome to see. And you can, they're also gonna provide Motorcycles to dealerships where you can go and buy a flat track motorcycle. So uh, Kind of along the lines of what Indian did with the FTR 750. It sounds like that's what they're doing with the XG 750 you can buy a race ready motorcycle from a Harley-Davidson dealer and pretty much go racing and it's been a while since harley's done that so it's it's awesome to see uh again i mentioned the, the contingency there's great big money if you go out there and if you win races on a harley and 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 it pays back pretty well as well so maybe we'll see more harley davidsons out there in the 2020 season i think that's what they're going for they want to win again there's absolutely no doubt in my mind and this might help push people over the edge to go get a harley
2: I can't wait to see what this team is going to shape up to be in 2020 and hopefully they're going to be able to compete with Indian and, and give them a run for their money. I know since I've gotten involved with the sport when that Indian Harley rivalry was just you know coming back I've wanted to see them competing on the track uh, together so uh, I think that in the 2020 season hopefully they'll get a team behind them that that can run with these boys and, and make a run for, for some wins in 2020. It's great to see anybody contributing but contributing in the way they are and then making those those motorcycles available for people to buy uh, it's, it's good news all
0: around absolutely up next also just put out this week was NBCSN it's going to have two same day airing events and both of them are TTs the Daytona TT and the Buffalo Chip TT and I I think that's great it'll be later on in the day um the numbers that they've got before in the past for watching a race that had already run were mind-boggling to me because i'm not the kind of guy like if there's a nascar race on tv that was from last week i'm not going to go watch it but for people that never seen it or that weren't there they were so to have two races the same day i think that's a huge step forward for our sport it is
2: it's it's the biggest step i think that they've taken uh, towards live coverage since they signed the deal with NBCSN. I think that if you're an avid fan, sometimes you still wanna see how the race unfolds or how the day unfolds. So uh, it, it'll be great to see in you know same day air. I'm gonna be at both of those events hopefully in, in 2020, but uh, I, I would be somebody who would just watch the delay later that day. It may not seem like a lot. Some people are just like, oh, it's only two and it's not live. This is a huge step. Uh, and as somebody who's worked and spent the majority of my professional career in broadcast television, this is proof that NBCSN wants to go live with with what they're doing. I think it's smart. I think it's smart doing it in Daytona and then doing it again in Buffalo Chip. They're going to learn a lot from that first experience. So, um, And I guarantee you that they're, they're working towards being ready for that Daytona race. So I can't wait to see what that, that same day air looks like. It's the biggest step, I think, since they signed the deal.
0: Absolutely, and it's it's getting them closer to being ready for live TV, and I think that's what they're pushing towards I think it's a smart decision whether it's jumping in both feet and going live because you only have one chance to make a good First impression that stuck to me. I don't know where I heard that a long time ago But if, if, if we came live and we had a terrible event people aren't gonna come back and watch it again, so take I don't steps. Know.
2: I'd still watch flat track
0: <laughs> I know but the the, the new fans the yeah. people that don't know what flat track is If they see a long delay for whatever reason, a water truck breaks, I'm I'm just throwing out scenarios. If something happens like that, they're not going to keep watching. They're not going to come back. It's going to be great. I like this. I like this step. Absolutely. It's going to be great. So the the
2: other big news this week, uh, Jerry Stinchfield from Roof Systems had another big announcement for his 2020 team bp92 and man i'm excited to say bp92 again he's going back to bp92 because he can take the one away he made a main event several main events in in 2019 bp92 is back and he'll be racing for roof systems again in 2020
0: and that's good news because i had heard after the season finale that that uh, roof systems had pulled away from everybody except for Shayna and bromley that's the rumor that was going around and now it's good to know that brandon price still has a ride he's still with jerry Stinchfield. And I like that he's going to be running number 92. Uh, Brandon Price is from Maryland. And the late, great Rodney Ferris was also from Maryland, and his number was 92. So I love it. I, I love it that the 92 is going to be back on the racetrack. It's been a while.
2: Yeah, I'm sure there'll be more announcements from Roof Systems from other teams as well, other riders. But, you know, it's good to see this box checked a little early before the, before the end of the season.
0: If you read the fine lines and and you read all the details, which I you know you know I don't like to read, <laughs> but I read this press release and it did say that he's going to have bikes in every class. Hmm. So nice. Well, I'm obviously more announcements coming from Jerry Sensfield and the Roush Systems of Dallas, Texas soon. Hopefully,
2: I'm sure there's more things that we've missed that that came out in the week. Uh, th- this is the time of year where there's several announcements, right? If we forgot about you, it's not because we don't love you. There's just a lot going on this past week for both of us so um let's get into this week's episode because i know that we said in the beginning like i'm geeking out about this one uh and i've been excited about episodes before but this one to me is uh is pretty crazy and when we started this we we listed like the dream interviews right and for me this was up there it's definitely top three maybe number two dave Despain is number one to have him on will be a dream it'll happen it's going to happen Uh, But this guy is right up there, Uh, not just for who he is, but what he's done. I can't can't wait to talk to this guy.
0: No matter what we put out, he likes and he shares everything we're doing. So that's really cool to me to know that this guy that we're getting ready to talk to appreciates what we're doing, too.
2: Absolutely. Uh, He's he's dedicated his life to uh, to telling the stories of, of flat trackers. And, you know, you and I can definitely relate to that. Uh, this is a big one for me man I, I really look up to this guy I really what he's done is, is pretty impressive and uh, the quality of work that he puts out on a consistent basis is, is it blows me away uh, the fact that he appreciates what we've done is probably one of the biggest compliments I've ever gotten and uh, I look forward to talking to him for sure to, to hear more about his story and how he got started without further ado let's talk to mr. Gary Inman
0: Hi, this is Kenny (laughs) Talbot. That's perfect. (laughs) It's early in the morning here in Oklahoma. What time is it where you're at? It's just after
1: two o'clock in the afternoon and the sun is shining for the first time in about a month.
0: Does that mean it's time to go riding or what does that mean when the sun's out over there?
1: Well, it just means that my webbed feet can take a rest of splashing through puddles but yeah i've i've got some work to get out of the way and then um i'll go to a race this weekend but i might not i might not be racing i might just go with my son
0: okay so your son races he does
1: yeah okay he's uh, well- and this weekend it'll be um on the beach on the east coast of england they race an oval on a beach so they just wait for the tide to go out Set a course out and and ride an oval, so it's very flat tracky in its feel, but the surface is completely different. The 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 sand really gets chewed up, and they have all different kinds of bikes there, from motocrosses to speedway-style grass track bikes to little mad dog 100s, and that's what my um, 16-year-old son will be racing.
0: Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. I've never done anything like that. I guess. uh... I guess things are different over there. So I haven't seen you since the, the Lime Ohio national. And that was just for a brief moment. When you gave me this episode of Sideburn magazine, I've got episode number 37. It's sitting right here on my desk. So what's been going on. You've been doing all right. uh, This, uh, this past season. I have like I said, I haven't seen you since June.
1: Yeah, it's been a mad year. I'm a freelance journalist as well as making sideburn. And I, write books when i need to and sideburn takes up a lot of time as well and I try and be an a- amateur racer as well so the years as you all know scotty just fly by when you get to uh our kind of age i think i'm older than you but yeah the years just fly by you're getting ready for the beginning of the season and before you know it it's the end of the season again
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when I sat in school, I think I watched the clock and it, it moved slower than molasses. But now that I'm out of school and and old, like like uh, like you just maybe mentioned, I'm as old as you or close to. It seems like the time just goes so fast, I can't even keep up with it. But uh, recently, it looked like you went to Nepal with Jeffrey Carver. You've been to India with Johnny Lewis. So it seems like you've been having a little bit of fun lately. I've been having a lot of fun. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, those two. Those were two interesting trips. One of them, uh, Sideburn organized. That was the Nepal one. We organized it with uh, some friends of ours in India who run a company called Helmet Stories. And over the years, because the magazine business has changed so much and is so difficult to keep going, Sideburn has diversified into different areas, meaning I'm spinning loads of different plates all the time. But one of the things we did was... uh, organize trips to different countries riding trips Um, the idea being that if you sign up to a sideburn trip you know you're going to be with a, a good group of people who are really on your wavelength and that's been proven we've done four or five trips to morocco three or four to india and then this one was the first one to nepal and Jeffrey showed some interest in coming along, and we managed to work out a a deal with him. We sponsored him in a a small way in the 2019 season, so we've been in touch with him, and he is certainly on our way. So he came out on that with with a bunch of readers and amateur flat track racers from around the world, and we were riding around Nepal for seven or eight days, having a great time.
0: Man, it. Sounded like a great time. I was following the stories and stuff on social media, but man, it sounded like such a good time. So let's get to know the man behind Sideburn Magazine. So let's let's just d- jump into it. Where were you born?
1: I was born in Edinburgh in Scotland, but I grew up in uh, in Yorkshire in England. I was born in seventy one, so I'm in my late forties now. Uh, and from a two wheel point of view. My parents, by the time I was born, the last of five um, brothers and sisters, my dad didn't have motorbikes anymore. He'd had them as a a young man. He'd he'd had Vincent's, you know, the best bikes in the world. And he bought them when he was in the army, in the forces, and picked them up brand new from the Stevenage factory. But they were long gone by the time I, I came along. So I don't remember... Motorbikes being in the family or where I grew up until uh, a couple of local lads bought some Vespas when the the scooter thing was a big thing in Britain. And this was different to mods and rockers and things you might have heard of in America. It was a it was a very sort of more of a punk rock feel to it, and young men and women would buy Vespas and Lambrettas, old Italian stuff and ride to the seasides in four packs of four and five, turning up in packs of four and 5,000 people and just wow. drink and camp and hang out and then ride home on Sunday night, uh, and go straight back to work. And as a 16 year old lad who was uh, an apprentice engineer, that was a really attractive thing to me. And then jumping on a bit by the time I was 2021, twenty I progressed into, uh, sports bikes and buying cbrs and fzrs and gsxrs and from there yeah, i've had motorcycles all my life since then so yeah. i started riding when i was 16 uh, but there was no there was no thought of racing at that point racing was um, nothing that, even not on my agenda nothing i could afford or even really wanted to do
0: Okay, so what was it just about motorcycles that appealed to you? You said you didn't start until you're sixteen. So, just what was it that drew you in?
1: To use the old cliche, the freedom. I just wanted to ride around, get a, you know, go wherever I wanted to go on, on two wheels. And back then they were cheap, and insurance was pretty cheap even for a sixteen-year-old. So yeah, I could do it, go anywhere I wanted to. And I still, uh, I still have that feeling now as a lot of your listeners will
0: okay so you said you rode on the streets for quite a bit and you didn't think about racing until later in life when was the first time you raced you know a motorcycle
1: i will have been about 35 36 years old so a long time a lot a long time into my riding career yeah All right. and by that time i'd been a journalist for a, a good few years as well i'd been a, a motorcycling journalist and um been all around the world riding bikes, mainly road bikes, uh, but and then covering MotoGP and World Superbikes and things like that. So I'd, I've had a lot of great opportunities in the motorcycling world. But up until then, I was purely a spectator. I, was, I loved watching racing. I loved going to the Irish road races and the Isle of Man TT and MotoGP and all these different types. I was never really into motocross or Dirt bikes or anything like that
0: okay so what drew you into being a journalist or you know writing about moto
1: uh a love of reading magazines really um and then thinking of the opportunity if i was writing about them i could get to ride motorcycle or i couldn't afford to buy or insure so that was that was the the driver really and i started when i was an engineer i was a working in drawing offices of engineering companies. I wrote to a local newspaper, a big regional newspaper, and asked if I could write about motorcycles for them. And, you know, looking back, I don't know what gave me the confidence to think that they'd entertain me because I, I had no training. I'd left school at 16. I, I wasn't, I didn't have good grades leaving school. Um, but I kept badgering them and let me use their name to borrow some motorcycles from dealers and manufacturers. So I got a bit of experience. I wrote some bits and pieces for them. And when they were published, I I took them to work and uh, photocopied them when no one was looking and sent them to motorbike magazines around Britain and got offered a couple of jobs off the back of that. And then that was my first full-time job when I was in my
0: uh,
1: mid-20s. First full-time journalism job, should I say. It happened wow. pretty quickly.
0: No kidding. What did, what did it feel like to have your first piece published in a magazine?
1: It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, but I didn't know any... I, I hardly knew anyone in motorcycling at the time. I had a few local friends who did it, so I was just plowing my own furrow and just doing my own thing, really. And I had a dream of of working for... Magazines, uh, motorcycle magazines. I I devoured every word of certain magazines that came out. That the British magazines then were really well respected around the world. They looked at things differently, and they were they were humorous but analytical as, as well. And um, they, they just had a, a more quality feel than magazines from anywhere else at that point. And strangely, I never managed to work for the ones that I loved the most as a as a full timer. By the time that I'd established myself, I decided I wanted to be freelance. Um, I liked the freedom of being a freelance journalist, working for whoever I wanted and not having to be in a, a, an office environment too much. Um, and it, it worked out for me. I kept coming up with good ideas and, and people wanted to keep using me. So that worked out well.
0: That's awesome. It does sound like a, a great story for sure. So when did you cover your first flat track race?
1: Well, that is a proper life-changing weekend. I used to hook up with photographers and say, look, we'll we'll go to America, for instance, we'll go to the West Coast, and we'll do five or six stories or, or more over two weeks, and then we'll come back and we'll sell them to magazines around the world. And the photographers i knew i, I worked with a, i did it with a couple of photographers and they were happy to do that so we we pay for our own tickets up front um stay at uh, a friend's motel near inglewood and just go around doing stories i'd so on a typical sort of week or 10 days in america i'd Go and interview keith code and then we'd go and find a customized car that we thought we could sell to some magazines in britain so we go and feature that and then we'd go down and see roland sands when he was still a uh, performance machine uh go and interview him and photograph some of his bikes and then on this particular trip um i've got a commission from a from bike magazine in england to go and follow jay springsteen racing at the delmar mile in 2000 and it was if i remember rightly i think it was a wrench head race series i don't know if the, there was a, a schism in the series back there where people were trying to split off from ama but i specifically remember it being a wrench head mm-hmm. thing. do you does that I, ring
0: a bell with you yeah i think that's when my kids split off and there was a uh... It was a different series, and I ran I ran a little bit of each series, you know, wherever I could, whatever's closest to me. And I think a few people went to one series, and you know, and some people stayed with the AMA series. And I do remember it being sponsored by it was uh And I do remember the Del Mar Mile of 2000. Um, I, I, Man, this is bringing back some memories. So what was it like getting to spend some time with Jay Springsteen? Did you even know who he was before you came over here?
1: I did know who he was, but I didn't know that much about him. I mean, the reason I wanted to cover uh, a flat track race was because of On Any Sunday. I mean, how many times have you heard that? That, that's the, that was the <laughs> yeah. gateway to, mm-hmm. to the sport. Well, it, it certainly was for me. And I was so green about the sport. I thought all the racing took place on miles because that's really yeah. what On Any Sunday concentrates on. And there had I had read the odd feature in UK magazines about flat track, but they'd all been from miles as well. So I just, I didn't know what short track racing was. I didn't, I had no clue. So I turned up and Jay was fantastic with us and his wife was there and he was uh, giving us great quotes and he was smoking between the the races, but Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what was going on. Ken Maley was there repairing shoes I bought a t-shirt from Ken Maley's truck that I still wear on on awesome. special flat track occasions now a blue pocket t-shirt with his mm-hmm. uh, with his logo on the front and back and so it was a, a fantastic experience and uh, Jay was racing for Bartels at the time just everything about the sport was amazing the photographer was getting fantastic shots he was still shooting on film at that point this was all pre-digital but the big thing that led to changing my life was that night as we were just about to go the the racing was over for the day someone said oh you're going to go and watch the short track and as I say I didn't we didn't know what it was but we walked over and it was Skip Van Leeuwen's short track in the little arena within the same complex if i remember Mm -hmm. it rightly
0: yeah
1: and we we got a beer and a hot dog and sat at the top of the bleachers and just watched the the racing happen and it was fantastic and they even had the um an outlaw class where the harleys came out and raced uh but there were a couple of guys there one of the and i remember their names to this day and it's 19 years later one of them was called Larry Madrigal, who was racing a BSA Catalina Gold Star. Mm-hmm. He was an old, an old guy. He must have been in his 60s then. And another one was Butch Cochran, and he looked like he'd just been plucked straight out of On Any Sunday with his <laughs> uh, Triumph leathers. I think he was riding a little Honda, but he had sort Gene of Romero era leathers and an open face helmet with a with a shield across it. And I was talking to these guys and I was just thinking especially Larry I was thinking wow this is amazing you you're a pensioner and you're still racing flat track so that was a, that was a big moment that stuck in my mind that Man, if it, if he can do it what's what's stopping me okay. and the, the thing that was stopping me was there was no flat track in britain <laughs> at that time
0: so that's in two thousand. There is no flat track racing in the UK at all?
1: None at all. No. No. It didn't so... start until two thousand and five. And it was a brainchild of a guy called Peter Boast who had okay. been to America to race. He'd had a he'd gone over and if I remember rightly, he'd given it six months of uh of man in a van, riding round, racing for uh, outlaw races for money try to get his um national number and then he'd come back to Britain and he's he's a good short circuit racer and he's a riding instructor for track days and things like this. And he had the idea of wanting to set up a, a short track series and he called it Short Track UK. And the reason it's short track was because in Britain we have a lot of speedway tracks. So 350 yard, 300 to 400 yard ovals. We've got a lot of those in quite a small area. And he came up with that idea.
0: Okay. So that was in 2005. And did you cover that series as well?
1: Well, I knew Boasty a little bit because he'd also worked for magazines and he lives not too far from me. And he was in a little... Thing that he was calling a slide school, that was a an experience of turning up and and riding um, little s- single cylinder small CC speedway bikes, and you know you just turn up for the day and you pay a hundred dollars or whatever, and you're instructed of how to get the back end out of a of a speedway bike, and then as the day progressed, if you showed any ability, he'd let you go out on his Rotax framer. So he, he'd had that going and I think there'd been one race in the UK and he organised uh, a practice day at a track local to me and I got wind of it and thought I'd go along and take some photos for one of the magazines I was working for at the time. And this was the second uh, moment. So Skip Van Leeuwen uh, Short Track was one and this was the second moment that that changed my life to a huge degree was turning up to that practice day i'm walking into the pits with only about maybe 10 bikes in it and seeing what now i know is a is a rotax framer but didn't know what a framer was at the time and um walking over to the bike and thinking this is the best looking bike in here because there were dtx bikes and uh, other thing uh, other bits and pieces there but this this one really stood out and on the back of the bike was a sticker for a punk rock fanzine, a really obscure magazine out of America. So I thought, this is this is too much. It's the it's best looking bike here. It's got this sticker on of a magazine that probably 1,000 people in the whole UK know about. And there was a woman sat next to it. and I said, Who is this, this bike? And she turned and pointed to a guy who was walking back towards it and he had a, a link ray t-shirt on well link Ray's a 1950s 60s guitarist who i adored as well and it was just too many coincidences going on and i got chatted to the guy his name was dave his, his nickname's dave scooter farm and asked him what experience he had in racing and he told me he didn't have any experience racing before this was his this was gonna be his second race. This was a practice day, but he's, his next he'd had one race and his next one would just be his second race ever. So I asked him what he rode on what bike he rode on the road, and he said he didn't have a road bike. He just had this one. So he didn't race, he didn't ride on the road, and that was the moment I thought, well, if you can do it, I'm doing it. And I had a word with Bo Steak, asked him to see if he could find a bike like this framer, and he had a Rotax framer for sale. And a few weeks later, I bought that, and I haven't stopped racing since.
0: So so your first flat-track bike was a Rotax. Is that what I'm understanding?
1: That is it, Scotty. I know you like them.
0: I do. Uh, you know, I I grew up in this sport. You know, my dad raced, my grandpa raced, my aunts and uncles and my cousins and stuff like that. But, you know, I never really wanted to go fast and turn left until I got older also. And I think my first flat track bike that i purchased was a uh, a woods road actually i'm sorry my first was a night rotex i purchased out of mine was uh, a night rotex there you go it was out of phoenix arizona we didn't even start the motorcycle we saw it we looked at it we pushed it up and down the driveway they didn't have any fuel we didn't have any fuel for it and i I I gave him as much money as I had in my pocket, and we drove back to Oklahoma City. So that's pretty cool. So explain, in your words, how hard is it to learn how to race flat track on such a powerful but yet smooth racing
1: machine? (laughs) Um, Well, for me, really, really difficult. I remember in in my first season driving home from Eastbourne, uh, a speedway track on the south uh, coast of England, and thinking, wow, I I think I've made progress today. And then remembering that I would probably crashed five times Mm -hmm. during Mm -hmm. the day. (laughs) I'm thinking, no, no, I'm getting the hang of this. Uh, I honestly was useless. In my very first race, Peter Bowes, who who ran the series, back then there were so few people riding that I lined up next to the British champion and a European champion, either side of me on the front row of my very first heat race. Now there's enough people that you can go into rookies and things like that. But back then, everyone was out together. And in this, in my first heat race, Peter Bost was about to lap me, but he had as much—he had that much gap on the person behind him that he hung back and let me cross the line again, so I so I'd get my full amount of six laps or whatever the heat race was which was great of him and except for coming out of the last turn I high-sided <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> so I high-sided out of my very first heat race uh yeah and I didn't make much progress for years and years I was nervous of the bike and as I said I was a road rider I didn't have any dirt riding experience so I wasn't used to the bike hanging out you know getting the back end out I didn't have. There were hardly any opportunities to practice. Now there's there's a practice every weekend in Britain if if the weather's fine. You know there's practices all the time. That, that it's grown that much in well 14 years, obviously. But yeah, it was different back then. It took me a long time to progress. And but you know, like Dave, who got me into it in the first place, said our racing was not a results based business. We were right. there we were there for the fun and we the friends i've made in flat track you'll hear it time and time again but they are my best friends you know i live in a in the same town i've lived in for 20 years and i probably have one or two friends here all my friends are all around the well all around the world uh, and they're all connected to flat track
0: so that guy that inspired you that you said, had those stickers on his bike and stuff like that. Does he still go out to the races, or do you still keep in touch with him?
1: Yeah, I speak to him all the time. He doesn't race so much. I think he might have done one race this year, but he comes and helps out. He does. He helps on the start line, or he flag marshals. So he's still really involved as well. That's cool. uh, Yeah. That's... So we, we keep in touch a lot.
0: That's awesome. So I also heard that that wouldn't be your last Rotax you own, just like it wasn't my last. I've had two. Uh, I, my first one was a night, My second one was a Woods Rotax. So, what was the next yeah. one that you bought?
1: It was a Wood Rotax. <laughs> I, I kept the night I kept the yeah. night for maybe a year, and then a Wood Rotax came up. Uh, a friend had imported it, and he decided he only wanted some parts of it. So he took the the parts off that he needed: the front end with the triple clamps, mm-hmm. and maybe the back brake rotor, but not much. Uh, so I bought that off him at a, a, a decent price, a really good price, actually. Um, sold the night road taps on to somebody else, and I still have that wood road taps now. And the way that we do our racing over here, we, I can race two different classes in it, and each class you have three heats, and if you make your main from those three heats uh you you get the main as well so i can get eight races out of one meeting so i worked out that i think i've done six or seven hundred race starts on wow. that single motorcycle
0: wow so how do you think the road taxes have treated you i mean did do you think you've tamed them down do you think you figured them out or is it still a, an ongoing battle
1: it's a, it's an ongoing battle but every now and then i get on the podium and our classes are pretty big. So if you get on the podium, you're doing it out of a class of 20 riders. Um, so I'm pretty happy with that at my age. And uh, yeah, yeah, our classes aren't age-related. They're, they're skill or bike-related.
0: Okay.
1: So in gotcha. the UK, you don't have vets or 30-plus or anything like that. You have um, rookie, inter, and pro and you can ride those classes on any any suitable bike, any you know any flat track bike. So you could have a DTX or you could have a framer racing each other in those skills based classes. And then they have a vintage class, and we call it mini bikes, but you call it mad dog. So there's a okay. there's a mini bike mad dog class. And then there's what we call thunder bikes, which was set up for framers. They set the the CC limit at. I think it's 550, so you couldn't enter on a liquid cool framer. The idea when it was set up that if you're on a liquid cool framer and you were a good rider, you would smoke anyone on a on a Rotex. Okay. But I'm not sure if that's true, but that, that was the thinking behind it, uh, th- that it was a class for these Rotax framers. And there are so many of them in the UK, because uh, there's a British manufacturer still going actually called CCM. And they made a lot of road bikes with uh, Rotax engines. So these engines were really readily available in the UK and people would modify the road bikes to make their own version of a framer. i mean it was a modified road bike but if you did enough work to it it looked like a framer and it went really well people have won championships on them in the uk so yeah I, i'm a big fan of road taxes and i'm still not the best rider but i've, I've never wanted a dtx bike
0: yeah, me neither. Me I've never even wanted to ride one. I, I'm a Rotex guy, or a, you know, uh, you know, like I rode in a couple other classes too, but I never rode a 450, you know, DTX bike. I just didn't didn't seem like I wanted to do it. it looked like you know, leave those on the motocross track for me. But uh, <laughs> let, let's move on over and talk about the Sideburn magazine. So you published your first issue in 2008, but you came up with the idea a year earlier. So how did you think of coming up with the magazine about racing?
1: Well, there were there were a few things going on i've been a freelance journalist for a long time by then but the magazines that i was working for their publishers were cutting corners and lowering paper quality and the ideas were getting regurgitated all the time and even though they were open to some new ideas i was getting asked to interview the same old racers time and time again britain has a real um, or, or, all the editors had a real obsession with the golden era of what was the golden era of um, MotoGP. So, your Raineys and Schwantz and Lawsons and people like that, they had a massive impact in the UK. And I must, I, I really like Kevin Schwantz, but I must have interviewed him seven or eight times over a few years. And I just thought, well, what more can he tell me? There's got to be more people to interview out there. So there was the quality issue, there was a little bit of the uh, repetition and there was a little chopper magazine made in Britain called Dice that's still going and it was independently made, small format, kind of fanzine feel but a magazine quality and I just fell in love with the whole idea of it and thought, well because of these other reasons, why don't I ever go making a magazine? So I, I'd worked with a, a photographer called Ben Park, and I asked if, if he wanted to uh, help me make this magazine, if he wanted to design it, and he'd never designed a magazine before as a photographer. But I quite liked the idea that asking someone who didn't know the rules of making magazines would then make a very radical-looking magazine, and I, I wanted it to be different. So that suited me, and because I'd been racing a, a few handful of years by then, and loved the whole aesthetic of flat track, or that what was at that time, you know, the classic look of it, it was going away a little bit with DTX and with the motocross uh, clothing that that they were wearing on short tracks. But the the big numbers on the back, the heavy two-piece leathers, obviously the the melee style steel shoes and the full face helmets not motocross helmets a whole on any sunday vibe i just thought it was a real rich vein to to mine for a for a cool magazine i didn't think anything i didn't have a business plan obviously because there was no business in it it was just a creative endeavour really almost um, like an art project rather than a business and that's what the first magazine uh, was born out of
0: wow so how many people worked on that first issue
1: um well i i edited it wrote most of it uh dave uh, who i mentioned earlier the, the guy with the sticker on the back of his rotax he wrote something for it I contacted um, uh, an artist to, to do some artwork for us, but it was mainly me and Ben. And mentioning the artist is quite important because art's always played a really important role in Sideburn and all the other projects that we've done over the years. The way we, we look at the aesthetic. And back back in, in those days, flat-trap posters were, were really ugly, in my opinion. Uh, so... We decided to do things a different way, and that's really influenced the whole Super Hooligan series and and a lot of the uh, flat track series around the world. Is the the choices we made for for posters and artwork in Sideburn back then in like two thousand eight, well two thousand eight, nine, ten, around that time when no one else was really interested in flat track. I mean, I, I realised the other day that when we started the magazine the Grand National Championship hadn't had a race in California for eight years so they hadn't had and it's hardly believable that when you think about what the sport is now and the way it's gone that Mm -hmm. yeah I mean Gene Romero was running races over there and things like that but I think I'm right in saying that, that the GNC hadn't had a race in California since 2000 well that people won't believe that now
0: right the the
1: sport had really really shrunk back to its roots you know the the kind of area you came from and you raced in that's Mm -hmm. you know it shrunk back to there people weren't that interested in the sport outside the real hardcore who always keep it going
0: i'd have to agree with you so the the artistic element is pretty much what sets you know Sideburn apart from everybody else. Uh, back to that first issue, how did you decide to put Gene Romero on the cover?
1: It was purely the dynamism of that shot. I mean, that Dan Mahoney photo is pure flat track. There can't be a motorcyclist in the world who doesn't look at that and wish they could ride like that, even if they don't know what the sport is or what the bike is or who the person is. They wish they could do that round a corner. It wasn't always going to be that shot, but that was the one that that was available in the right quality. Um, there was a possibility we were trying to get a, a Rex Beauchamp, uh image as well that, that that some of the older guys might know just from from me saying that name.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, Dan Mahoney could uh, Dan Mahoney could supply that shot to us, and you know. Gene remains a, an icon, and it all tied in. And the idea of it—we've always had covers. We we never put an advert on the back cover, so our cover works on the front and back. And Ben's idea for for that—the the crop of that shot was Gene was going so fast that he was sliding off the front cover and round onto the back. And I, I love that whole uh, that whole thinking behind. That The speed, the, the the quirkiness of it and everything like that. So that, that's a, a template early on.
0: That's amazing. So what were your expectations, if any at all, in the beginning of the magazine?
1: Like you've guessed, no expectations. We didn't have a website. I don't know how I thought I was going to sell it. I hadn't thought beyond making it to selling it. But people around the world found out about it somehow I I must have sent one to cycle world uh who I was working for and they put a tiny little um, photo of it on one of their news pages and that led to a few sales Uh, and then not long later I created a blog for the magazine when blogs were blowing up well just before actually we made the blog quite early and they became really popular and people would link between blogs and things like that. So the w- the word spread in those sort of pre-Instagram, pre-Facebook. I've never really been on Facebook. But I loved blogs and loved spending night after night just finding out things of people around the world. And that really helped spread the word for Sideburn.
0: Okay. So how did you come up with the name Sideburn?
1: Well, it was... a uh, it was a mixture of sliding and in, in britain the old saying in the cafe racer days of you know the 50s and 60s if you were going out for a fast ride you'd go for a burn-up so there okay. was that and also in america do you call the, the bit of hair on your face a sideburn
0: yeah right there in yeah. right there in front of your ears yeah yeah that's yeah. the sideburns well, yeah
1: yeah well the whole the whole sideburn is the bit of hair in front of your ear and that tied in with the whole 70s aesthetic that we had in our mind of flat track of this stuck in its ways, but not in a not in a bad way uh, aesthetic of thick leathers and thick hair and big moustaches and jewelry pickup trucks and Peterbilt's and all that kind of almost romantic vision of uh, Americana that we were having from our um, kitchen table in the UK.
0: Wow. So Sideburn, like you said, is more than, more than a magazine these days. You said, you talked about the blog, you sell merchandise, you got videos and you even host your own events. So tell us about what led you to start hosting your own events. And what comes to mind is Dirtquake.
1: Yeah. Well, Back then, uh, the motorcycle scene in Britain was very different to, to what it is now. The whole uh, neo-cafe racer, or hipster scene, if you want to call it that, um, was non-existent in the, well anywhere in the world. Uh, we created a, a show event where we put flat track bikes with bands, with art, with roller derby girls and called it Roller Burn. And that was the first event of that kind. I don't know if it's ever been replicated anywhere, but there's been similar ones around the world. And that really was a big tribal gathering for for people on the edge of motorcycle scenes in the UK who were looking for something new. And then a few months, well, a few weeks later, I decided I wanted to make a, a flat track race because I, I love flat track so much, but I, I realised that it could be intimidating for, for people to get into. Pe- if I hadn't met Dave on that day and, and he told me of his complete lack of racing experience or motorcycling experience, I might not have got into it. So I wanted to encourage people to have a go at flat track. So I approached Bo pete to who was running the, the uk series and see if he could help me sanction a race at a track in the uk and he agreed and um, we came up with a an event that would allow anyone to race anything it was aimed at total beginners uh we had a, a chopper class. We had a street tracker class, so for for bikes that looked a bit like a flat tracker, but was a, a street bike. Uh, and we had a class we called inappropriate road bike. So that was for <laughs> anything else. That was for monkey bikes, for gold wings, for BMWs, for whatever you like. And we rented a Coventry Speedway track. So that was a sort of elite level Speedway track. And advertised it around Europe, and Sideburn had a bit of a cult following by then. With my contacts in journalism, I I had some friends around the place as well, so we we got enough entries to go ahead. The weather was terrible, hideous rain for days on end beforehand, and we thought we were going to have to call the event, but we had people driving from Italy, which is over a thousand miles away we had people coming from France to race so we went ahead and the the track was pretty unridable really Um, but everyone was getting blathered in in soaking wet dirt coming off track Uh, and they were coming off just grinning their heads off and we got these fantastic photos of people having this filthy muddy fun I guess they went viral uh, people just Just went mad for this that you could ride anything and have this daft, dirty fun. So we did another one the following year, and it grew and grew. And people around the world started copying the event and calling it their own, you know, their own things. Eventually, we had Tor from CC Motorcycles in Portland, Oregon, uh, came over and visited us, and he said he wanted to do one in America. So we did one with him in in America, and that was the wildest motorcycle event I've ever. (laughs) <laughs> been to it was just absolutely unhinged we and we did that at castle rock okay so we did that a proper you know maybe a bit down on its heels but a gnc track and we'd mm-hmm. always make sure that we'd run the racing properly it was friendly and no no macho uh, we tried to get away from the macho thing of it so that's why we had these Dance classes and bit of you know we'd encourage people if they wanted to get dressed up. You could d- get dressed up in fancy dress, and if they didn't want to, they didn't have to. But it was mm-hmm. very open to anyone who wanted to come. Then we did uh, with uh, Deus ex Machina. We did a couple of uh, snowquakes on an ice track in the Italian Alps. Wow. So yeah, these uh, and the the event just grew and grew. But I'm not really an event organizer, or I wasn't, and I just fell into it um but uh sideburn doesn't own the Dirtquake name anymore a, a, a tv production company bought it offers a few years ago acquired it offers and um so i've i've helped them a couple of, a few times but i haven't run Dirtquake quake for um, two or three years now
0: that's an amazing story. I, I, you see some stuff like that every once in a while, and I think Flat Out Friday does a, a good job at having a boonie class and, and a dress yeah. up class and all that fun stuff. So I, I love that idea. I mean, it's you know we we all started going to flat track races to have fun, and I think that kind of brings the fun back to the sport.
1: Yeah, and it, as I say, it really caught on, and and in a way, I think getting back to participation and not having to wait until everything's perfect and you've got the right gear and everything like that, and the right bike and the right tires, just go out and ride what, what you've got and see if you like it. And if you do, you can progress from there. And people who've had their first ever motorcycle race at, um, at Dirtquake have gone on to be UK national champions. Awesome. Uh, class national champions. And so that's amazing. Uh, and I think it, it helps pave the way for the the hooligan thing and like you say the flat out friday and the the one pro race up Mm -hmm. i think it's it's all helped those things you know and and that's not to say that we invented participation racing we we didn't you know as i said that the skip van lewin race i went to i saw two harleys (laughs) racing each other on the short track and that was a that just proved to me that oh yeah people can do it people will
0: do it absolutely i agree with you so what I, I'd love to hear your take on the evolution of the sport over the last five years?
1: It's been a revolution, not an e- an evolution, hasn't it? It's been incredible to see. Um I've been lucky enough to to speak to uh, and interview Michael Locke a couple of times. I think he's got some very good ideas. Uh, I've heard him I've heard you guys interview him as well um i i like some of the ideas more than others i really love that that flat track racers wear leathers now Mm -hmm. (laughs) i've never been a fan of seeing them in in horrible motocross gear and sorry if that upsets anyone but it's just not my thing i i know it makes sense in in 100 degree california short track it makes sense to wear stuff like that but you know I think he realized what the USPs of the sport were, the the unique selling points, and that on any Sunday aesthetic is so strong still, uh, you know, nearly 50 years after it was made that I thought that was a good idea to tap into. Um, As I said earlier, I've covered a lot of other sports. I was covering real road racing so you know the Isle of Man and the Northwest 200 and Ooh. Macau GP and things like that when it was going through its revolution and people were getting their noses put out of joint but it I think it helps for me that I'm in the UK and I hate that I can't go to as many races as I'd like to but I think it helps retain a real sort of lust and and lets the sport retain its magic that I'm not hearing so much of the moaning or the unhappiness or the politics of every decision. You know, I pick up on some of it and I hear it and I I am interested in people's views, but I think it does help that that we have a a step away. I think that helped with Sideburn as well, that, that we didn't know everything about the sport. We were divorced from it. We had this very, very romantic view of it, so we could really put it on a pedestal and we have had American people, lots of American people say that Sideburn helped them love Flat Track again because it helped them look at it in a, in a new way, uh, and that's something great to hear.
0: Yeah, I, I, I love that too. Um, I recently went and, and watched the movie Fast and Left, and that was a whole other perspective as well. So it's, it's it's similar to what you're doing. You know, it, it gets a different look at things. You know, when I go to the Grand National, I see it the same, you know, week in and week out because I've been there and I just, I, you know, I mean, I love the sport. Don't get me wrong, but – what I see is the same. So what you do is different. What Fast and Left Film just did is different. And, and I love that. It attracts different fans because they see it differently as well. So I love what you're doing. Um, you go to several races, but you just mentioned you know, you didn't go to as many as you'd like to. I think I saw you at one Grand National in 2019. It was Lima. So how did you pick which Grand National to come to?
1: Well, I am a, a huge fan of the sport. And I'd been to Springfield. I think that's, you know, a pilgrimage you've got to make. And I'd been to Sacramento Mile. I'd been to the Lodi Cycle Bowl. I'd been to Short Track. I was so excited when I went to Lodi because I'd read about it. You know, I'd read that Chris Carr learned to ride there and Kenny Roberts would Grace there and things like that. And it was just to turn up there on a Friday night, the night before there. The mile was was great, and uh, Lima was just the the next race. If I was only going to go to one race in 2019, and I did, it had to be Lima. So I pulled some strings and made some deals and made sure I could get out there. And stayed in Milwaukee for a night, and then drove down with two friends who were involved in the the Mama Tried and the, the Flat Out Friday and the whole scene up in Milwaukee and we drove down we went to the greenville race that you told me about mm-hmm. on the friday night and that was just so cool that was a, a fantastic experience and really grassroots but you know the first bike that i see moving when i walk in the gate is jared Mees going out to just have a shakedown before the big race the next day and then went to lima and watched it from you know watched different sessions from different corners and one corner, we're next to Henry Wiles, his dad. And then the next one, we're, we're next to a group of guys who'd ridden in on their road bikes and hadn't watched a race since Scott Parker was champion. And they were all betting each other for, for dollars. And mm-hmm. they watched, we watched the uh, singles main stood in the bleachers with them. And he shouted, one of the guys shouted down, hey, is that a girl who won that race? And a woman too?" um rose in front, turned round before I could even open my mouth and said, It sure was. And just the <laughs> whole experience of it was amazing. Yeah, it was it it was a really fantastic race. And then not only was it a fantastic experience, but that the the well both the mains were unforgettable.
0: Absolutely. I agree with that. What was your favorite event you attended in 2019?
1: Lima half mile.
0: Right on. I love it so you, you talked earlier about your uh, adventures with the american flat trackers you know jeffrey carver going to nepal johnny lewis in india what's it like getting to spend some time with these american flat trackers in a whole other environment that they're not used to what was that like
1: well it's great but i wonder if i'm getting on their nerves because all i want to talk about is what's going on who's going where what's what's happening what do you think of this what happened when that happened and Luckily, you know, those guys are specifically those two, Jeffrey and Johnny, are really easygoing guys and great company and good ambassadors for the sport, and they're ha- happy to indulge me in all my questions. So, yeah, it was it was good. I didn't, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm learning anything about them, but um, I'm certain, <laughs> they're, they're, they're telling me lots of, of juicy things.
0: Right on. What Do you have another adventure planned, or you have one in mind coming up?
1: I would really like to go to Portland in February to see the the One Motorcycle Show and the races that they put on up there. I think this year they're having it in a in an NHL uh, stadium. So they're having their show and their race all in the same building. And those guys up there put on a great show. And, you know, people like Davis Fisher and Andy Debrino and... people Mm -hmm. like that race and and also the amateur classes i i i I love watching amateur racing i love being in amateur pits and and seeing all the different bikes and the two strokes and and the vintage bikes and everything like that so an event like that is perfect for me i get to see the the top level racing uh and also the amateurs and there's a bike show on and there's drinks and bands and everything so I, i love how those events you know the the one show and, and mama tried have introduced shopper riders and road riders and cafe racer people into the sport
0: right on well it's time for graham's question and first off she wanted to say that you're an amazing journalist she wanted me to tell you that right off the bat she loves what you're doing how you don't always just focus on the number one rider in the country you focus on a lot of different things and she loves that about about what you do but her question is what are your thoughts on the updates to the rules package for american racing
1: is Graham talking about the super twins
0: i believe oh, so, so. With, with with without getting into it i think that's exactly what she was uh, wanting you know your opinion on it
1: well super twin i think that the entry numbers uh, have dwindled so much yesterday i was i, I watched on youtube a 1983 race from Houston Astrodome, and Kenny Roberts came seventh and didn't make the main. Kenny Roberts in 1983 didn't make the main, uh, yeah. and it was a it was a film. I put it on the blog on our blog on sideburnmagazine.com. It was concentrating on Terry Poovey. and I looked at the figures, and that year 1983 there were 99 national numbers, mm-hmm. and last year there were 37. Twins' national numbers. Mm-hmm. So the numbers are really dwindling. So something has to be done about it if the sport isn't just going to keep dwindling. So I don't think it's a bad idea. I I don't think AFT have had many bad ideas. I was talking to uh, Johnny about the... Uh, entries because i don't know enough about how much uh, about budgets and things like that for running uh, a, a pro series and he says the numbers seem to stack up and and if you're uh you've got half decent um reliability you're going to make your money back on the entries. so that seems to make sense uh, as Graham was probably concerned as well we were worried about how everyone was going to afford a semi truck and this that and the other but AFT listened to that and seemed to um, seem to react to that, so that was good to see as well. Um, I think it can. I think it can only be a good thing. Uh, I like that there's room for um, wildcards. I really want to see Ronnie Jones make a main in 2020, so I'm, I'm excited about that. But I'm sceptical if it brings in that much more sponsorship. Because, I don't know, everyone's chasing those sponsorship dollars, aren't they? Yes, every, sir. Every sport, every sport, every motorsport. And, you know, for all uh, the love we have for it, flat track is still pretty low on the pecking order of um, of motorsports when it comes to spending. But maybe that helps it as well because you get a lot of bang for your buck with the NBC uh, coverage if that keeps... Um, keeps going and keeps improving
0: great answer gary i I really appreciate the honesty and and that was a that was a great answer so it's time for our rapid fire questions that means we're getting near the end of the episode so tell me the first thing that comes to mind when i ask you the question are you ready i'm ready what's your favorite motorcycle you've ever ridden
1: my wood rotax
0: there you go all right what's your most memorable experience getting your first article published in a magazine or riding your first heat race on your Rotax?
1: Uh, definitely that heat race. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> all right. I high-sided awesome.
0: out of it. <laughs> You'll never forget it, right?
1: No, right in front of some friends who come to watch me as well.
0: Of course. That's always where it happens. What's your favorite track that you've ever been to? It could be Flat Track, Road Race, Isle of Man. It doesn't matter. What's your favorite track you've been to? Oh,
1: okay. Uh, uh, quick fly. let's say um greenfield dirt track in lincolnshire england because it's the the dream of one young uh guy who's made his own flat track and it's great quality and so friendly and yeah so greenfield in the uk all right, all
0: right. you're about the third person that's told us that so i guess i'm gonna have to put that on my bucket list and come check that out so this next question is a two-parter so greatest flat tracker of all time on the racetrack
1: uh scotty parker
0: okay greatest flat tra- his numbers exactly yeah he's he's a legend and i don't know that any of his numbers will be beat greatest flat tracker of all time off the racetrack
1: mm, this is really difficult but i would say chris carr for what he did in the early days of UK flat track when he came over, when he was still uh, a US champion and Mm -hmm. the fastest man on two wheels at the time. He came over to our tiny little series in the UK, hung out with us, taught us how to race, told us dirty jokes, raced with (laughs) us. It was just (laughs) the best.
0: That's awesome. I did not know that he did that. That's really cool to hear.
1: Yeah, um, he came a few times.
0: Okay, he must have really liked it then. So, uh, yeah. pre orders for issue number 39 just went on sale. If you had to choose your favorite issue cover to cover, which one would it be?
1: Issue 39.
0: The next one. I love it. I love it. All right, You've got so. Got keep here,
1: moving here. forward. And,
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and we do, uh, maybe not if now's the time to mention it. Because we're a print magazine uh, and that's how we started out, it can be a little bit expensive to send around the world. There's nothing we could do about that. It's a fat little magazine and it weighs a lot. Um, But we also do a digital version that people can go onto sideburnmagazine.com and they can buy that for for just a, a a few dollars and they can keep it forever and, and read it read everything that's in the print magazine as a digital version uh and we have back issues of,
0: of those as well so you pay one price and you get to read each episode or do you i mean is it like a year subscription or how does that work online
1: we do subscriptions for the print magazine but online no you just you could just buy one and have a look at it and if you like it buy another one okay um and yeah, Perfect. that's how it works. We we're, we're embarrassingly unsophisticated when it comes to business. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I love your your pure honesty and truth that you're that you're telling us about it. We definitely feel that here on off the groove. So my last rapid fire question, uh, you know, give a shout out to Dave to Spain because he always asks this question. But what are you most proud of?
1: Um, that I've kept going. maybe against the odds
0: meaning the magazine or just in racing or I
1: I, I mean I've got a a great like I live in a in a small town in the in a rural county and there's not a lot going on around here I've got a really good life and worked hard and you know a healthy family and all those things and but as we're talking on a flat track I would and we we'll are talk about cyber. And the thing I'm uh, most proud of is, you know, 13 years without a business plan in very, very tough, uh, trading conditions where people don't tend to buy magazines too often anymore. You know, we've, we've hustled and we've, you know, kept going.
0: Awesome. That was a great answer. Uh, we appreciate the time for sure. Before we let you go, do you want to say thank you to anybody?
1: Uh, I'd like to thank, Off The Groove for having me on the show Uh, I'd like to thank anyone who's ever bought anything from sideburnmagazine.com or sideburn.bigcartel.com and yeah just keep on keeping on keep racing support your local flat track and uh, yeah all those things really If, if, if if anything that I've said has struck a chord with you I'm sure you'll like the magazine so Maybe go and buy a digital copy, or, or have a look at our blog. We update the blog five or six times a day. We've got about across two different sites. We've got about six or seven thousand posts over the years of flat wow. track and street tracker and motorcycle-related stuff. Some of it's pretty short, some of it's longer, but you know, we we keep on keeping on with a very very small team of uh, enthusiasts.
0: I love it. So next time you come to the States and we're anywhere near each other, I'd love to spend some time with you. And uh, I, I really, really appreciate you coming on Off The Groove. And uh, thanks for your time.
1: Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Carter. And uh, I hope it didn't go on too much.
0: No, I loved every second of it. and It was it was all perfect. And I know our listeners are going to love it as well.
1: Cheers, then. See you soon.
0: All right. So you know how you often say, I got goosebumps? yeah that i ain't... show you when i get goosebumps i show you because we can see each other yeah yeah but that entire episode i had goosebumps like we'll see I- i'm lucky enough i can see you and you were just geeking out over there you loved every <laughs> second of it I usually was. usually you send me a message or you'll get on your phone and stuff like that and you were just hooked yeah just like just like when you catch a fish hook line and sinker bam.
2: eyes wide listen to every, listening to every word it was just uh I don't know man it, like this guy is as real as it gets and he's I mean you, you talk about riders and they're like they are flat track like this guy is flat track um, and what he's created with the with the magazine and you know things he's done outside of the magazine uh, you could see all throughout the sport not just in American flat track but you know in Roland Sands uh, hooligan series and uh, other hooligan series and you know uh, some of the events that you see across the country are inspired by the work that he's done so it's pretty cool to be able to talk to him and you know dedicate an episode to him
0: absolutely and i didn't know a lot about him i knew i'd met him uh, a time or two but they're briefly when i'm at the racetrack you know if i'm not doing the pit walk or if i'm not in a meeting or if i'm not announcing there's not very much time in between all those so uh when i did get to meet him he gave me an issue of cyber and i've got number 37 sitting right here on my desk and and it's just great to talk to a person that you, you know who they are, but you don't know them. Mm-hmm. And to find out we had so many similarities. Like I, my first flat track bike was a Night Rotax. That was his too. You know, that was my first real flat track bike. My second one was a Woods Rotax. His also, mm-hmm. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. And he started racing later in life. I didn't start flat tracking Carter until I was older. I mean, I ran a few as a kid here and there. I think my first bike, you know, first one on a big bike was here when I was like 15 or 16 but then I, I walked away and it wasn't until I decided I was done breaking bones racing motocross that it was time to go flat track and so I started later in life and, and he did as well And yeah. but that doesn't matter you know what matters is we're hooked yeah. we're hooked on this sport
2: yeah, that was one of the coolest things too about going to that premiere, like and being in that environment. And you feel the same when you go to a track too. I mean, obviously, when you're at the track, you're, you're, there's a race going on, so there's a lot, a lot of things to distract you there. But I mean, just sitting down and talking to people that are as passionate about the sport and motorcycles, uh, and geeking out uh, on just the littlest things, I think, is what really uh, gets me going. So, uh, this, uh, this is definitely my favorite episode by far a lot of people might read the magazine but they don't know the guy behind it so it's cool to kind of um give him a little little bit more context and, and and hopefully uh there'll be some people going to sideburnmagazine.com and uh checking it out if you haven't we're getting already some
0: merch we getting some merchandise or anything you know support like we said all these you know we support the people that support our sport um we love what he does and i think i think that goes both ways i think he loves what we're doing because he's always one of the first people to comment or share what we're doing so it's awesome stuff and i'm glad he took the time uh and i'm glad i got up early on a on a friday morning we're putting this one out day of so i got up early way earlier than ever before no i'm just kidding no you got got up earlier
2: to take me to the airport last week
0: that's true but i went right back to bed see this time i'm up and i'm up for the day so it's good stuff man uh
2: totally worth it though
0: yeah we appreciate it and uh, we appreciate all of our listeners our followers uh we appreciate everybody who reaches out to us on social media we try to get back to each and every one of you nobody has any bad ideas um we've got a lot of suggestions we got uh, a lot of guests lined up for the next couple, couple episodes we're gonna be I'm pretty really busy looking forward to yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: next week we'll is good, next week's gonna be pretty special i'm looking forward to that one for sure
0: and we'll help make the off-season go faster as the countdown to Daytona begins.
2: It's going to be here before you know it, man. And uh, I'm already getting excited. You know, more of these press releases you see coming out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're only going to get more and more amped like, to see it. Uh, Traveler's Rest has a pretty good it's, event it's, this weekend. they they've, they've already in the middle yeah, of it, right?
0: They, they, they should be racing today. I think today is the TT and maybe the short track, or at least the TT. Yeah. And the track looks amazing. They had a lot of rain. You can see how wet it is, but there's some fast guys over there. Um, I just wish South Carolina wasn't so dang far away. <laughs> also, DeCoin Indoor is going on tomorrow and Sunday, Saturday and Sunday, for uh, Steve Nace races. Yeah. Uh, this weekend, it's the the following the, the Thanksgiving weekend break. And also, he's going to have one following the Christmas break be- between qu- Christmas and New Year's. And I'm trying to figure out if I can uh, justify and make it up there. It's, it's a, that's a ways for me to get up there as well.
2: Well, there's definitely races between now and uh, in Daytona, but it'll be here before you know it.
0: We appreciate everybody for listening. Yep. Keep keep it on two wheels, Carter. You keep that Jeep on four wheels, and uh, (laughs) we'll talk to you next week. Later. Later.
2: How was your turkey day
0: turkey day was great how was your turkey day it was fantastic i ate a lot of turkey i didn't know you liked turkey i love turkey
2: i'm not Oh eating yeah re- you
0: don't eat you don't eat meat, I red meat. You don't eat i'm not a red, meat, red fan, meat
2: but i love me some turkey
0: good Tur- turkeys have red stuff right here on their neck oh yeah the gobble gobble i don't know what that the is the hang down you can- <laughs> all right
2: what are you thankful for in 2019
0: I'm thankful that I'm alive. I'm thankful I had uh, uh, still a job in flat track motorcycle racing. Yeah. And I'm thankful for my family and my friends.
2: That's awesome. What about you? Oh, boy. I'm thankful for my girl. I'm thankful for uh, this, uh, the opportunity to do what we do every week uh, for people that um, seem to kind of like what we're doing. And uh, the opportunities, especially that I've had this past month from the 580 trip to... this Fast and Left uh, premiere, uh, its it's been pretty awesome. And I think uh, it's just the beginning of uh, a lot of things that we're going to be doing here in the, next, in the upcoming year. So here's to next year in 2020.
0: I hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving and uh, getting ready for the uh, cold winter coming up.
2: Okay, bye. See you. Okay, bye.